Hitchcock from Forest Dictionaries, um, who published Jean Branford and um, Malcolm Fainter say again the other side of South African English. Um, now, apart from being a teacher for 36 years, a part-time lecturer, a um, co-author of various textbooks, um, Malcolm holds a doctorate in linguistics, and in 2002 he received the English Academy's prestigious gold medal award. Um, so he was the perfect person to write a book um, about English in South Africa. As you know, South African English is colorful, it changes, it borrows from Afrikaans as well as other languages. Um, but we've also coined a few words and phrases, and in Say Again, Malcolm managed to explain these words and phrases in an equally colorful and um, entertaining yet very informative way. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce him to you today. Thank you. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I will be the voice for Malcolm with some extracts that uh, the, he, he has provided me with. All right, I'm going to start with how are you? Um, a UK visitor to South Africa was overheard in a shop saying with some irritation, the woman behind the counter kept asking me how I was, not what I wanted to buy. <laughs> Now, in similar vein, a visiting Hungarian student commented as follows. Now, my Hungarian accent is up to nothing, so I will try my best. One of the most challenging aspects of being an international student in South Africa is that you not only have to master a foreign language, but also to recognize the meaning that hides behind the words. Almost every day I'm asked, how are you, uh, or how are you doing? Uh, and I'm expected to respond, good or fine, and ask the other person how they are, to which they will also respond, good. Now, when somebody asks, how are you, in Hungary, I assume that person is, is, is truly interested in my well-being and wants to listen to what I have to share. <laughs> Now, they were both referring to the tendency on the part of people, including shop assistants, doormen, telesales people, to use the question, how are you, as a greeting rather than a question. A real answer is not required, at best. A pat answer, such as fine, or in modern parlance, good, would suffice. One regularly has people phoning, and without even identifying themselves or even saying hello, they open the conversation with, how are you? Next one, robot. He says a young teacher, it was him in fact, from South Africa, Malcolm, was visiting Britain in, the early, in early 1975. He raised a number of eyebrows when he declared one day, ah, the same robot catches me every time I go down that street. What? Has the man been watching too much telly or something? Perhaps the most distinctive of South African English is the word robot. We tend to assume that it is used internationally, but it's not. Thus wrote Rajen Mestri, but it is English, is it English, I mean, 2011. The word robot itself, of course, not a South African invention. Far from it. It entered the English language via a science 
fiction play by the Czech writer Keiko Peck, entitled R.U.R., which is Rossum's Universal Robots, published in 1920. Actually, Kapek did not invent the word either. He used an existing Slavic word, which means forced labor, to refer to the artificial people who featured in his play. From this, it came to mean a machine, especially one programmable by a computer, which is capable of carrying out a complex series of actions automatically. When traffic lights took over the task of directing traffic from human beings, they came to be called robots. Although the word robot was originally used in this sense in British, in British English as well, <laughs> it was retained in South African English when it became obsolete elsewhere. Now there's another term which is no. No. <laughs> when people answer a question in the affirmative, one would expect them to say yes. But this is not always the case in South Africa, as Gus Silber pointed out in his book, It Takes Two to Toy Toy. If you ask a South African whether he enjoyed a particular movie, he will not say, yes, yes, no, yes, yes, it was very good. He will say, as I just said, no, it was very good. <laughs> if you ask him what he's planning to do for the, for the day, he will say, no, no, I'm just going to the shops. While this use of no as an affirmative sentence initiator might have come from the Afrikaans' tendency to use near, no, in this way, it is also characteristic of some African languages. Even more strange is the use of both yes and no to mean yes. Yes, no. Derived from the Afrikaans word, Daniel, hmm? Azay. Yes, no, and it's often caricatured in the expression, South African expression, yeah, yeah, well, no, fine, Azay. Next. Late. Now, in the early 1990s, uh, Port Elizabeth um, school principal was doing enrollment interviews for the next year. One of the families did not turn up, so she phoned their home and she was informed by the child that her mother was late. Your mother is very late, retorted the irritated principal. Later, she cringed at her unintended callousness, for as the conversation went on, it was revealed that the child's mother had died. The principal had not realized that in a number of African languages, the adjective late, a euphemism for deceased, is used not just before a noun, as in my late mother, but also after the verb, be. This usage is logical, as most descriptive adjectives can be used in this way. Here's another example. My mother was late when I was just five years old, and that was a Singhalese writer referring to the fact that his mother had died at that time. All right, here's another little one here, uh, which is monkey gland sauce. <laughs> In South African English, this sometimes says that, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. No, uh, uh, so many, many meat lovers, yes, many meat lovers enjoy a sauce with their steaks. One South African favorite, which might possibly puzzle, even horrify an overseas visitor who's offered it, is monkey gland sauce. Hence the hurried reassurance from the author of an online recipe. This very popular dish must sound completely unappetizing to the uninitiated. Rest assured, though no monkeys and definitely no glands are used in this preparation. This piquant tomato and onion-based sauce contains the iconic Mrs. Ball's chutney, itself a South African condiment, which makes, which makes 
expats, nostalgic, even if they didn't particularly use it while living in South Africa. All right, let's go on to come to the party. It's the second last one. Um, if someone says that they hope you will come to the party, they might not be issuing, issuing you an invitation to the social gathering where you will be offered good company, food and drinks. When a local radio station presenter said, uh, thank you for coming to the party, he was in fact expressing appreciation to the traffic official who reported that he was taking steps to improve the traffic situation around a local school. In each case, come to the party, as used here, is a colloquial term meaning to join in with or give assistance or support to. A particularly odd-sounding example was provided by an African radio presenter on talk radio, speaking of a number of political parties, parties opportunistic presence at a high-profile funeral in Dipsluit as a show of support. This is what he said. The political parties have come to the party. <laughs> the term is used more breed broadly, for example, in sports, as in Miller came to the party and bowled out X. Now we go to panda. I also didn't know this. Did you know that South Africa has pandas? No, it's not the large black and white animals that look like bears and live in the mountains of China. In South African English, panda is an acronym for previously advantaged, now disadvantaged, which is a white person as illustrated by the following interchange. John says, I'm going to apply for that job. Steve says, don't even bother, Brew. You're a panda. <laughs> now, pandas are not viewed positively in some circles, as the following web blog, which is in 2012, suggests. A state-employed doctor's worst nightmare patient nowadays is no longer the drunk, verbally abusive guy dumped at casualty by a police pickup van with a couple of stab wounds in the chest and as many scars from previous drunken brawls who vomit stale pup suck wine from a foil bag fitted with a spigot on you. Recent times have created a much more feared patient, which is the panda, previously advantaged, now disadvantaged. This is the white lady with the manicured nails and beehive who can no longer afford her private GP's fees. So now she has to submit to state-provided medical care. She always arrives at hospital with a highly strung husband who feels like an utter failure for having to bring his pretty wife to a state facility where she's forced to sit in the same queues as her garden boy and her domestic worker. <laughs> now. Right, thanks very much for the welcome, and I'm glad you enjoyed the book, I think, because 
I think everybody knows if you write something, you always wonder, will other people appreciate it, enjoy it as much as you appreciate it? It's something I've been passionate about for years, and so it's nice to find somebody else who felt, felt that, that it was interesting to them as well. Uh, I must say it's quite a difficult book to put together in the end because it isn't just a straight text. It's got a lot of inserts in it, actual examples from everyday usage as a, some asides and pictures and so on. And I thought it was quite a tall order when I gave it to the publishers to say, right there, I've got the manuscript form, the text with all that stuff, all little blocks all over the place. And they did a wonderful job of putting it together. So I think it does look very good as well as perhaps reading well as well. Um, regarding the Branfords, uh, I've known Jean Branford, my co-author, for over 50 years. I met her in my first year as a linguistics student at Rhodes University in 1966. And apparently, I was arguing with Jean about everything she was saying, a very cheekily, I think, as a first-year student to challenge your lecturer, but apparently I was. She got a bit exasperated, and eventually said, Mr. Fenter, if you'd like to come and take over the lecture, you're most welcome to do so. Otherwise, would you please be quiet and stay in your seat there? So I immediately kept very quiet, because Jean can be quite fiery. And then I went on to do my master's and my doctorate part-time while I was teaching with her husband, Bill Branford, who was professor of linguistics at Rhodes University for a good number of years. So I got to know them very well. And Jean used to joke over the years when I got my master's, oh, here's this little man who thinks he's so smart, and used to tell people how she put me in my place in my first year. He's not as wonderful as he makes out to be. I put him in his place, she said. And then the day my doctorate became official, she sent me a telegram in those days. We still had things like that. And it said, do take over Dr. Fenter. And then in 2013, I got a, an email from her saying, please take over Dr. Fenter. So she'd continued the story over the years. Jean had been collecting material. She was the editor of the Dictionary of South African English, the original dictionary, which ran into four editions and sold very well. Um, and she'd been planning to write a book about South African English. But she'd recently had some health issues, mild stroke, and that sort of thing. So although her mind was very good, she couldn't really do anything about writing and so on. So she sent me this pleading email, please take over Dr. Fenter. And when I got there, she presented me with a metal box with index cards, with words and meanings and some examples in the most appalling handwriting and said, there you are, take that box and write a book. So the first thing I had to decide was, well, what would the format of the book be? So we decided on themed chapters. So each chapter deals a different theme, like eating or where we live or uh, politics, that sort of thing, some serious, non-serious things, uh, with actual examples included. Um, and an index so that if anybody wants to look up a word, they could find it. And then also a little section at the back on where do all these things come from. Um, and then we decided on the format, what we called a popular cum academic book. So it was academically based, but it's for the general public um, who's just interested in South African English to read. Um, I then had to research some more recent uh, items for the book and more recent examples because we every item we felt we had to prove that it is actually used and occasionally I wasn't so sure that things were always used until I listened around me and I heard people using them for example the phrase good and well it's all good and well 
Now, the Queen's English would be, it's all well and good. But South Africans, based on the Afrikaans, say it's all good and well. And I thought, does anybody say that? And I heard my wife saying, I said, ah, now you're in the book. And in fact, I would sit at meetings and be writing notes, and they thought I'm writing notes from the meeting. I was actually writing down examples of what they were saying. And I thought, yeah, you're going to end up in the book now because of what you just said there. So that was my job at that stage. And I wrote the book, and Jean was able to read it and to comment critically. My wife also assisted because I tend to write as I speak long sentences all over the place. So she chopped them up and linked things up. The sad thing is that Jean, in about May last year, had a very serious um, stroke, and she is blind. Sorry. And she's unable to communicate at all at this stage. I don't even know if she knows the book ever came out. So after all that effort and all her input and all her uh, passion for this, uh, this, she's ended up not able to, to even really appreciate the book and therefore not to be here today. So that's how the book came about. Why, why, why write the book now, in 2017? Well, I think that South African English is, a, is a, an evolving um, language. In fact, we, we talk about, we used to talk about dialects, we now talk about Englishes, the different Englishes of the world. So South African English is one of the Englishes. It is a very distinct English. Mm. It is evolving. and. It has evolved over the years, but in the new South Africa, even more so because mm. there's now more interaction between different cultures. In the past, the English Afrikaans c connection was there, and now the black usage of English uh, also is there. Um, Jean had always felt that there'd been an overemphasis on the borrowings in, of mm. English. And we could perhaps talk about this later on, but yeah, the lacquer mm. and the O and that sort of thing, which is there, and it plays its role. But she's always said that. A neglected aspect is English, but English just used differently. Like, for example, it's all good and well. It's mm. not Afrikaans, it's not any other language, it's English, but used differently. And she felt that we sh that's what she wanted to put out there, mm. is let's focus on that for a change rather than just the borrowings. And that's, hence the subtitle of the book, The Other Side, of South African English, the non-borrowing side of South African English. And the title, Say Again, of course, is an example of that. It comes from Afrikaans, but it isn't Afrikaans, it's English. But English in a way that a British person wouldn't use. And it's another one of those um, phrases where people don't always know what they say. Uh, in fact, I quote my daughter in the book, but she insists that she never says, say again. But she does say, say mm. again. I've heard mm. her say, say again, when somebody said something that she didn't catch. So it's actually quite interesting. You can't always ask people, would you say this? No linguist would do that. You actually force a situation where people start talking, and then you get, and you see if they use the phrase or not. So that was the rationale. Let's look at the other side of South African English, not just the borrowings. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's just stick to the borrowing for the moment. I mean, uh, the borrowing side. I mean, we, we, we will get back to the um, to the other side of, of South African English. Um, as we heard also from the uh, examples that uh, June read to us, Afrikaans does seem to have quite an influence on on on, on South African English. But surely that's not the only language which. Which, which has an influence. 
um, even especially maybe especially now um, in, 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 in the latter part of the South African English history? Yes, um, more so the African languages are having influence on South African English. Uh, first of all, in terms of borrowings, I know mm. we, we const constantly hear about Lakhotla, uh, which is a sort of uh, meeting um, to decide of various things, or Muti for medicine and so on. So these words are creeping in from other languages into South African English. But once again, not just the borrowings, but also the way it influences what we say the English we use. So in African English, go well and stay well are very common. You also have it in Afrikaans, but I think it's also been influenced by the African language's tendency. They very often will say, go well, stay well. Uh, so that is come into English from that. Uh, that would be home language English speakers and second language speakers. But second language speakers also, the black people, in when they speak English, they then bring influences, which are what we call mother tongue uh, transfers from their own language into the English. And so I remember having a, a course of speaking teacher on my staff years back who said she, had to be, she was going to be leaving us because she said, I am having a boyfriend in Joburg. I am having a boyfriend in Joburg, which we wouldn't say in um, first language English. In fact, I phoned the Western Cape Education Department a while ago to ask to speak to somebody, and they said, I'm sorry, she can't come now because she is having somebody in her office, which sounded very <laughs> suspicious <laughs> to me. But you will find then that yeah. the um, people bring in from their own languages. Uh, Afrikaners do it too. They will say, I have seen him yesterday. Whereas a first language person would never use a past tense adverb with, I have seen him yesterday. So it, it does mean that other languages do influence besides Afrikaans by the borrowing, but also by the kind of structures we use. Mm. And the, uh, we either use as first language speakers or we hear second language speakers using because of their mother tongue, uh, used to be called interference, and they're now called more politely transfers. Mm. Okay. Um, I think I think it's uh, let's let's just take this into a sort of a, an advertisement again. Um, I'd like you to, to to sort of just talk the audience through a, a little bit of the theme. You know, some of the themes in the book um, and some of the wonderful examples that come from these themes that so clearly defines uh, South African English for what it is. Uh, if you like, just maybe a few few of these examples. Yeah. The um it starts off, it's a mixture of um, some of the lighthearted things like we heard June reading, how are you, that sort of thing, which some people find very irritating. Um, the first chapter is more is how we greet each other. Uh, can I stop you for a yeah, moment? Sure. I, yeah. I want to dare the audience. If someone asks you again, you know, how are you, you know, please start telling them and see what happens. <laughs> uh, you, you get this reaction that, you know, of total confusion. Uh, uh, and it happens in Afrikaans as well. In Afrikaans, we will say, who's it? Yeah? Who can't admit you? But don't dare tell the person how you are. I mean, that's not what they're expecting. It's actually uh, quite funny to do that little experiment. I dare you to do that. Yes, so exactly, exactly so. Yes, it isn't meant to get a proper response. Yeah. The first chapter, in fact, is called, How Are You? Um, it's often you hear it on talk radio. 
uh, someone phones in and then uh, the person phoning in says, hello, how are you? And, and, and then the, the presenter will say, fine, thank you, or good. I hate if they say good, um, but they do. Uh, and, then, and then he will say to them, and how are you? And I'm fine. And then, and then they start. And then the next person calls in and says, hello, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And you go on like it's like backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. It can get quite frustrating at times. Uh, you actually even find that people sometimes even use it before you even, they'll answer you before you even ask the question. Yeah. The other day I was walking in the shopping centers and I walked and someone said, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't even asked you how are you sort of thing. So it's really just yeah. a greeting. Um, and even the word greet, uh, mm -hmm. South Africans will use it from the Afrikaans when you're saying goodbye to somebody. Go and greet, greet granny, she's going now. So you find, so the first chapter is all about those kinds of greetings and how we feel about things. And it's surprising things that you wouldn't think of South African English like, it's no train smash. Um, and then the famous one, Just Now, um, which in, in British English they would use in immediate past, I saw him just now, or at present. My mother-in-law, who was is, or Scots, used to say, I can't come, I'm on the phone just now. I thinking, how can you be on the phone just now? We, uh, we use it for the immediate past, not the present, and for the future, which is what's unusual. They don't use it for the future overseas. And not only do we use it for the future, but it can be used for any time in the future. So it can be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour. And people overseas get confused if you say, I'll see you just now, and then they think you mean now. I'm going to come now, and then half an hour's time, well, where are you? That's why we start using now now, I'll see you now now. And then the second chapter is terms we use about people, like give it to the uncle, which is also from the Afrikaans influence there, or brew, bra, black people say bra rather than brew. Um, what chapter on what we eat, um, interesting ones there. Um, I, do you know what, what smileys are? Besides the emoticons, mm. smiling means a sheep's head, uh, which is eaten in African cuisine. That they will uh, chop the head off and then they bry the head. And, and it's said to be a smiley because as it burns, the lips pull back and it smiles. Horrible thought. Mm. Uh, <laughs> also walkie-talkies, chickens' heads and feet. Walkies-talkies, head and feet. Um, which is also a, a, a very a, a popular delicacy there. Um, chapter on farming background, the, the, the industrial world, the, and then the, quite a nice one on education. Um, the black people will talk about a black person who's been to a Model C school and say, he's a real Model C. Mm. Because he speaks with an accent, a Model C, or he has a Model C accent. Mm. Um, one on South African politics, the transformation, what does transformation actually mean? Uh, what does African mean? What does black mean? Uh, the struggle, uh, where you live, travel, um, and then a lovely one about uh, the use of uh, words to name places. I also tell the story there about when I first came to Cape Town from the Eastern Cape, from Port Elizabeth, People used to say, those were the days of the old Cape province, 1970s, and people used to say to me, how long have you lived in the Cape? Now, of course, I actually got very really irritated that they thought that Cape Town was the Cape, was I was born in the Cape province. So I'd say, all my life. And they'd say, but I thought you 
thought you said you came in this direction. No, but I was born in the Cape. And I was just irritating them because they were irritating me. And then to make it worse, they would say, how's province doing? I'd say, which province? <laughs> so also terms about where we live yeah, and, yeah, and so the name of places. Thank you. Um, I, I promised that we would not only talk about Bahrain's and stuff like that. I think one of the uh, really interesting parts of the book uh, is the appendix uh, in which you uh, say a little bit about the different strategies on how South African English actually comes about. Would you care to just elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, yes, that's to give the audience an idea of. You know, it's not just about borrowing. There's yeah. much more than that going on. It's that's the question people often ask. If we if we're not borrowing, then where do we get the things from? And I think there are two main ways. The one is, let's call it an external influence. Although we're not borrowing from contact languages, the contact languages are influencing our English. Um, sometimes consciously, when we translate, like for example, in English you talk about a milk tart, not a milk tart. Um, so we have a milk tart. We, you talk about someone who holds thumbs. A British person would say cross fingers, whereas we say hold thumbs comes from the original Dutch, actually, which is based on the German, uh, you see, I don't know why we say hold thumbs. I had a Welsh friend who thinks it's a, a terrible phrase. I said, but why is cross fingers any more logical? Isn't it any more logical? Um, so we sometimes translate in that sort of way, or it's a thumb suck. We suck it out of his thumb. That all comes from Afrikaans and Dutch. But sometimes we it's, it's not that we directly translate, it's just that the other language, because we're in contact with it, influences us in a way that an overseas person wouldn't be influenced. And one of them is about use of the word busy in South African English, um, based on the Afrikaans and the Dutch. We know we use the word busy when we're not being busy, which is quite strange. Um, she's busy relaxing. Now you can't be busy relaxing. You could be busy making cakes or something like that. You're not busy relaxing. And it becomes even more bizarre when someone says, Hester can't come to the meeting because her mother's busy dying. And you picture mother saying, don't interrupt me, please. I'm busy dying. Um, it's commonly, commonly used, uh, that one. In fact, when I was doing my research, I kept on hearing these examples. And we even use about inanimate things. Um, I, my computer went wrong and the computer guy sent me an email saying, your, your computer was busy crashing. As if it sort of sat there, you know, being busy crashing. Um, sometimes also the other languages influence us indirectly. You know, Afrikaans sometimes has one word where we have two words in English like um, lien, which borrow and lend, and so you'll find sometimes some English-speaking people with a lot of Afrikaans influence will say, can, can you borrow me that pen, please? Um, so you find the external influence on South African English, where you're not actually borrowing, but you're being influenced. But then, like any language, we have been, in any language, um, in the version of English, we've been very creative in in inventing our own things. As Charlene mentioned at the beginning there, we've coined our own things. And that we do in different ways. Sometimes we just take an English word and we give it a new meaning, which wouldn't exist elsewhere. So the word exists elsewhere, but not the meaning. Like the word coconut. 
it's a derogatory word used on black on black when a black person wants to insult another black person who's become too white in their manner. Mm. And so what they're saying is they are black on the outside but white on the inside. And so some black people, when they want to complain, you've gone too white, they'll say he's a real coconut, which is a very insulting term. Um, a word like cafe, in Britain a cafe means a, a, um, a tea room, whereas here it means the corner shop which sells all kinds of things and so on. Then we also create new words by adding suffixes, adding things onto the end of a word. So we've got a word like a backyarder, someone who lives in the backyard or someone else in an informal settlement. An informal settlement is also a South African term. So a backyarder or fronting. We know the BEE to get BEE points and you pretend that you've got a black person on board. That's called fronting. So we add ing onto front. That word doesn't exist elsewhere. And then there have been some quite interesting ones recently. Um, I read the other day that 2016 was the year of fallism. That's a recent one which isn't in the book because it's too new to be in the book. Fallism means sort of unstructured movements which want to bring about major and rapid transformation in, say, education institutions. Mm -hmm. And a fallist is a person, fees must fall, etc., etc. They're called fallists. So we've invented those words recently. Also one which is very, uh, which is very relevant in the Western Cape at the moment is watershedding, is a term we've invented. Watershedding, uh, which is probably based on load shedding. Load shedding isn't actually an African invention. We just suffer it more than other people. But um, water shedding, which means to cut off your water or to uh, reduce the pressure, has come in. And then a lovely one I came across just as I was about to finish, finish writing the book was ma a maintenance festival, which links to load shedding. And this is how someone described it in tongue-in-cheek, ESCOM joyfully announced that this upcoming long weekend will be the first of hopefully many maintenance festivals <laughs> with extended load shedding and many splendid hours of darkness. So actually what they meant was when you use a long weekend to fix up the generators is called a maintenance festival. Now how you can twist things uh, to make it sound something positive, but ESCOM can do anything. Okay. Then we've also formed our own compounds. We've put words together, like blue lights is a South African invention, and a blue light brigade, which we get so much of in this. We don't get it in the Western Cape because Helen Zillers banned them, but elsewhere you have blue lights all over the place. Um, also, um, the, yeah, uh, the, in fact, that's probably the most common way in which yeah. we've invented things is to put, like, like a train smash, we put words yeah. together which form a new compound. Then changing the part of speech. I just realized, by the way, earlier on when I was talking about suffixes, I actually got onto the compounding with the um, watershed. There's actually a compound example there. Sometimes we change the part of speech of a word, uh, and an awful one is we, in this country, we, we changed necklace, we use it as a verb, you know, that awful way of kidding people by putting a tie around their neck and setting mm. fire to them, which was during the struggle era, but unfortunately has come back in recent times in South Africa. So we change it um, from 
a noun to a verb, or another example is a clever. The black people will say he's a clever. They, they've changed it from an adjective to a noun. He is a clever. Okay. Uh, uh. Yeah, abbreviations are also coming. We heard earlier on the panda. Previously, advantage is now disadvantage. It means a white person. Um, we've also got a buppy, which is a black yuppie. Um, and then you, you must, one which I didn't put in the book recently, the SONA, the State of the Nation Address, that disastrous thing that happens once a year in our parliament. And I've also picked up something which I didn't put in the book because I hadn't noticed at the time. Um, if you heard about it, you have to fika something and eureka something. Yeah. That's actually the name of an act, a finance act. So we mm. say, I'm going to rika, I'm going to fika. Most people don't even know what those things stand for, but they've become words. Yeah. Uh, even to pire something, which is demand that you access to information from the mm. pire act. Yeah. And then lastly, um, we've also created some totally new words. It's the most unusual way. Not many new words, completely new words are created. We normally change the meaning or add things on or compound them and so on. But tacky is, a, no one knows quite where it comes from. And tiki, remember the tiki? A tiki box? Hmm. And lani, he's a real lani, meaning he's very posh or grand. We don't know where they come from, but they were invented. So that's what, this the last chapter brings it all together to say, so all these things we've talked about, where do we get all those things? And that's the way we do right. it. Thank you so much. I'd like to offer the audience an opportunity to ask questions uh, to Malcolm, if you like. Anyone? Uh, question? Any questions from the audience? You seem to have satisfied them. Yeah. Um, you must just uh, use the microphone. Thank you very much. I'm not completely sure how to phrase the question, and it's not entirely about like the um, based on the words that you've just spoken about. But like, I was just always I'm very curious to know how the South African English accent came about, and why does it sound more like, uh, let's say, like an Australian accent, or like how. Like what influenced it to sound to let it sound as what it sounds today? Right. Um, we we don't talk about that in the book, but I can I can happily answer that question. Um, people sometimes think the South African accent is just an Afrikanerized version of English, which isn't true. There has been Afrikaans influence on South African accent. For example, a more pronounced R. Mm. Um, and then the tendency to say certain vowels lower, like we say sin and a bin, um, we say them lower, that's sort of Afrikaans influence. But actually, it comes about from the original 1820 settler accent which came to this country. And what happened in Britain, those accents were in demarcated areas, so they didn't have any intermixing. So you'd have a, a Yorkshire accent, a Lancashire accent, a London accent, which were totally separate. When the 1820 settlers came to the Eastern Cape, they were all thrown together. And so what happened is, to use a nice African borrowing, a nice mengelmus occurred of all the accents there. And so that's why it, it, it was evolved there. And then later on in Natal, they brought in 
a slightly posher accent from Britain um, in, in KZN, um, and it also came from a different area, from the more northern areas, and then that's, that's why Natal English is slightly different from Eastern Cape and Western Cape English. So it really is originally just taking those dialects and putting them together to form a totally unique combination of sounds. Thank you. Any other questions? We have about a minute or two. Perhaps I just mentioned, if there is another yeah. question, a lovely example, which I heard on the radio the other day, of misunderstanding. You know what a bunny chow is? Yeah. It's uh, half a loaf, halved out, and that puts uh, food inside it. Um, there was a tourist group who went to a restaurant, and they stopped there something to eat. And there was a little Chinese man who didn't want to order anything else on the menu. He wanted his rabbit. And I could understand why he wanted rabbit. And eventually this bunny... Bunny <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think this is a good moment to, um, to stop. Um, I think, first of all, um, and I know, Malcolm, that you will agree with me, through this book, uh, we definitely honor the work that has been done by the Branfords over so many years. A very, very important piece of work uh, regarding uh, the writing up of, of this particular variant uh, of English. But we also want to honor you for the important work that you've done in bringing about this book, especially in the particular context where it happened. Um, and uh, we want to wish you well. I'm sure there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. You, in a very uh, nice way, you already indicated uh, many examples that mm. are not in the book yet. Um, yes. So there's uh, a lot of work still to be done. Language is alive, it moves, it develops all the time. Uh, and South African English is uh, no exception um, as far as that uh, principle is concerned. So thank you very much for the book. All of you, buy the book. It's really interesting. Um, and thank you for being with us this afternoon. Enjoy your steak with monkey land sauce. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs>